we live in a world in which scorpions exist. And true justice isn't about pretending like these scorpions don't exist. It's about, it's about living in this world and what we can do to offset the scorpion's footprint and maybe eventually outnumber the scorpions and have uh, more positive stuff in the world. I mean, it's a fairy tale. And, you know, Neil Gaiman said that fairy tales don't teach us that monsters exist. They teach us that we can defeat monsters. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and you are born to hand jive. This is Baron Vaughn, and welcome to Deep Shit. Guys, I'm putting this episode up a little late. These things happen. I had a long-ass week in which I was tired for most of it, right? Because that never happens to anyone else in the world. So what happens to me is extremely unique, and I get special privileges in not getting things done when they're supposed to get done. I'm being sarcastic to myself. You see what I'm saying? I'm... I'm giving myself permission by not giving myself permission. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I am happy right now, I guess you could say, because I'm awake. I did it. <laughs> I slept for a full night, and I am awake. My back doesn't really hurt. Guys, I, 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 I'm old. I'm mentally not as old as my body is getting, and that's because I need to cut out all this sugar and stuffs and stuffs and sugar. Um Speaking of which, I, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Mandy. Um, quite fascinating indeed. Um, if you are a person who is interested in listening to uh, things about Lyme disease and the food and medical industry and how they is all wrapped up in each other, I suggest taking a look at that episode. Blah, blah, blah. Today's episode is going to be with my uh, good friend and uh, writing partner, Benari Poulton, who we've had on before talking about control and today we're going to be talking about justice justice part one actually there's going to be a part two to this exact same uh subject because we uh scratched the surface that's kind of what i like doing here on deep shit <clears throat> i like scratching the surface of something and we can get under it get 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 deep get under it get deep and how under and deep we can get what you heard before the theme song was a preamble, if you will, a uh, a teaser, foreshadowing, just a little thing that you will understand later in the podcast. We get to this story about a scorpion and a turtle, and when we talked about it, uh, it didn't really make that much sense, and then Benari thought of what he said before, what you just heard. He thought of that as a better way to describe it, so... Think of that when you hear that piece. They're going to connect. I I, twin, I Quentin Tarantino'd this podcast. I gave you a little piece of something that you're like, what is that? And then later you're going to be like, I now see how it applies. Um, I want to make an announcement. If you guys are in the Seattle area, I am doing Laughs Comedy Spot out in Kirkland, um, which is just outside of Seattle. Um so you can go to it if you live in Seattle. It's like a, I think it's like a 20-minute drive or something. I've done it many a time when I was shooting a show in Vancouver's, and I would come down. And Yes, I've driven from Seattle to Kirkland many a time. So anyway, I'm going to be there this weekend, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at Laps Comedy Spot. I think it's like five shows I'll be doing, one Thursday, two Friday, two Sat. 
um, come on down and have some fun, and we will party in the sun. Is, is it going to be sunny? I know it's March, but Seattle is still the Pacific Northwest. It's probably still snowing up there. I'm going to be very upset to find that out when I get up there. Anyway, uh, I came up with a new term the other day, guys, and I want you guys to start using this. So there is a term called fuck buddy, right? Now, that's a very controversial term because it implies that the relationship is purely about sex, of course. But some people have fuck buddies in which the buddy part is much more important. Like this is a friend who I actually like talking to, hanging out with, going to see a movie with, and we also have sex. Now, some people might say that's dating. You know, that's your leading towards a relationship. But sometimes you get into a situation like that and you don't want to aim towards a relationship. Sometimes it's a thing that you do that's in between relationships. Like you might have a friend that you have a fuck buddy relationship with. Then once you get into a relationship, you call that thing off, but you're still friends. And then you come back to it. Maybe that's the new term that I have invented. A person who is a fuck buddy, but sometimes more than a fuck buddy sometimes less than a fuck buddy and there are feelings and friendship involved but it's always in kind of this flux so i have invented the term flux buddy come on guys guys come on come on guys on guys on you must come guys come on guys come on flux buddy flux buddy spread it around live your life all right Here's Benari. Actually, I we had talked about talking about justice at one point. Justice, justice. Ooh, that's a big one. Justice is a hard one. It's because you know a lot about politics. I know a little about politics. Yeah, but everyone... I know enough to get by in a conversation until someone drops something on me. I'm like, Ooh, and they're like, "Well, this amendment says." I'm like, "Uh oh!" And over my head. What well, you're talking about are the specifics of the specifics politics. of justice, but you want to talk about the concept of justice in general. We can talk about the concept in general, but also, I mean, if you want to get into the specifics, it's... I mean that that'll probably come up. They'll probably come into it, right? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, whenever whenever you talk about big ideas. About, you know, on the level of it's about justice, it's about progress. We throw these blanket terms. They're buzz. Out they're there. buzzwords. Uh, and then people, people on the street, the people in the back room are always like, "Hey, how come they can't just do it?" And it's because the mechanics of getting that done, and because people can't agree on what it is in the first place, right. or how it's supposed to look, or what what it even is, what it is, and even if they can figure out or they think they know what it is, how to execute it. How to get justice. People can agree on the path to take to justice. Correct. Okay, let's come back to this. Okay. First off, I want you to tell me that thing. That thing. Yeah, that thing. That thing. Uh, so it's actually my first trip out to L.A. was uh, I was about 12 or 13. Okay. Uh, I remember it was right. Uh, How old are you now? It was the summer I broke my arm. The summer I broke my arm? The summer I broke my arm. The last day of school, I wiped out on my bike and, and broke my left arm. 
So oh. I was in a cast for that whole summer, and I'd already set up plans with my manager. Uh, because uh, you were you were basically you were being a child actor for a little bit. I was a child actor for a little bit. Uh, you can see my work in such films as School Ties. And <laughs> oh well, I was also in the Ace Award-winning HBO half-hour docudrama, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gunplay: The Last Day in the Life of Brian Darling. Gunplay, and you played Brian Darling. I, spoiler alert: I was Brian Darling. <laughs> if you call the if you title the thing that, and you so you see someone's name, Brian Darling. Well, one of the conceits in the the episode. Uh, it was actually the episode that kicked off Life Stories, mm -hmm. uh, which is most famous for, like, the Matthew Shepard story and mm -hmm. things of that nature. But um, this one was based on a uh, true story about a kid down in Florida who got uh, – who his friend shot him. Uh, and so it was for call for responsible gun use. Actually, in the wake of all these things, I've been donating my uh, residual checks to uh, – you know these. Uh, and two. you mean now? Yeah, I, I've oh. been getting. It's been it's been in rotation again, and oh my I can't pretend. I can't pretend that I don't know why suddenly they're showing gunplay on HBO wow. all of a sudden after not showing it for you know five or six years. Uh, I, and I gotta say, Benari, I saw that. I <laughs> I told you I saw that, right? No, dude, I saw that a couple times, and it was. I swear that I told you that. Thing was very influential on me. I I remember seeing it. I remember fucking being very upset. I might have cried. It was it was the reality of like this is happening to white people too. Well, the thing about <laughs> the thing about that, uh, that, I remember every that fucking that I remember every detail of that scene. Yeah, it's so stuck one of the me. things there were four kids in it, and we never we never find out which one is Brian Darling till I get shot in the head. Spoiler alert. Uh, so it's basically – so there's a lot of tension because you set up early on that, like, one of the kids has a gun in the house. Right. And one of the kids' dads is a cop. Uh, these two kids are brothers, and they ha and there's just basically – It was a little uh, Twilight zone -y. It's a little Twilight zone in terms of the twist at the end is which one is going to get it. Right. Uh, the other interesting thing about it uh, was because it was sort of this pilot for – a larger series about, um, you know, dramatizations based on true stories, but like adult issues, like and it was HBO, so they could they could take it to places that after school specials could exactly. Not. This was HBO's version of the after school special, and I feel like I that's what I specifically remember. And so, about what they it. really wanted to do was get into the nitty gritty of well, what what do these issues really look like? So then, right. you know, and then, and uh, it was a very successful uh, series actually. Um, the thing that was really I would say the thing that was uh, that was really controversial about this particular episode was when I got shot in the head. They show me get shot in the head. Yeah, they that's why I remembered it. They didn't cut away to, oh, my God, and blood splatters. You actually see my head get blown off, uh, and which was a cool setup. The guy who did uh, the special effects for Ghostbusters and the Blues Brothers and all that sort of stuff, Matt Vogel, I still remember him. Um, wow. He uh, set up the squib on the back of my head, and they, like, had a – packet we we were filming that particular scene at about we were getting close to midnight when we actually did the shooting uh and then because blood splatters everywhere and they only had it one time uh they did all the after i died scenes just like the closing scenes all there from like midnight to like three in the morning oh. i remember i fell asleep because it's you know it's two in the morning right so and i'm lying there it's like pretend to be dead and then i would just fall asleep and then yeah, i yeah. remember waking up in the middle of one of the takes 
And the guy, you know, my dad is oh, he's so he opened his eyes. He he's he's awake. <laughs> 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 it's like I'm 11. <laughs> so, uh, but the uh, so when we shot me getting shot in the head, the censor from HBO freaked the fuck out. Of course, because he's like, you can't. And they're like, this was the whole point of doing this was to really show the dramatic impact. And he's like, you cannot have a child being shot in the head. So there was a huge back and forth on uh, on that. But and dude, that was the that was the most important thing. That's why I remember it to this day. I read this book that I loved, and uh, I'll get your opinion on this because I know you, I I can already imagine how you're going to roll your eyes at this. I'm 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 getting my eyes ready. Did for your the eye get your, oil them up? Get oil the miles <laughs> eyes up. They're going to be rolling. Prepping the eyes for rolling. Okay, so one of my favorite books that I've read in the last uh, decade was called Mediated. Um, okay. I might have talked about this book before to you. I know I've talked about it on the podcast. I love this book. This guy's name is Thomas De Zengotita, who is, I believe, a professor at NYU and another place. A friend of mine gave me his email because she uh, had him as a college professor, and I wanted to try to interview him for the podcast i was like that'd be fucking cool but he lives in new york anyway he wrote this book called mediated and it's not about the media per se as much as we are mediated beings as much as there is a buffer of safety in between us and all experiences right okay that at all times everything around us is designed and created to affect us in some sort of way to lead us down a certain emotional path uh of routine but what it does is it desensitizes us to pretty much everything. So it's like, because he's like, it's not that we're not moved. He's like, if you see a duck on television covered in oil, you're going to be upset. Right. The 127th time, less so, a little more upset. But what else is on to upset me? And pretty soon you don't want to see that duck covered in oil where you get to that image. You're like, this. I already know this upsets me. I'm absolutely not going to watch this thing with the duck covered in oil. Or, yeah, and he says that, like, we become connoisseurs of being upset, right? Mm -hmm. So, but he says that also, like, the only time, everything is representation. That's basically it. Like, reality is kind of a dead concept. That's the loftier ideas, where it's like, real experiences are always mediated, so they're always representations. We're more used to the movie about Jesus than we are, you know, like, we're, we're, we're trusting movies and the History Channel, <laughs> to In quotes you, yeah, you make the quote sound now when you say History Channel. The History Channel, exactly. The history Discovery, A and E or whatever. Nat Geo because they're cool now. Uh, Nat Geo sounds like the name of every kid that probably has pantsed every other kid. It's like if if somebody's been pantsed or had a wedgie, it was someone named Nat Geo did it. I feel like Nat Geo would be the villain in the next Barry Gordon movie. Barry Gordy. Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon 2, Nat Geo, Geo. the son of Show Nuff. Son of Show Nuff, and he would fight the son of Bruce Leroy. Yeah, Bruce Lawrence. Actually, (laughs) no, it should be the daughter. Uh, I gotta, I gotta give, I'm gonna give a shout to Ross Garmel, my buddy Ross Garmel. Always wanted to do the sequel to Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. And basically, it's the prequel. It would be, no, it'd be the sequel. It's the sequel to Kill Bill as well. Bruce Leroy would be. You know, he would be the uh, he would be the Zen master. He'd be the master, and uh, him and Vanity's daughter. And it would be it, it would be a daughter, and she'd be Jackie Chantel. Whoa, 
That is so upsetting <laughs> that you guys have thought about that. And uh, now we know that they would fight Nat Geo. Now we know. So he talked about like that there's this whole chapter about the children, right? The idea, the concept of we have to protect our kids. We oh, have to protect every all these things that we do in the name of protecting our kids, their delicate little kid brains. They're going to explode if they see these ups- upsetting things, right? Um, which I think that like kids now are more naive and more sheltered than we were. Yes and no, but I, I, it's, I it's think interesting they, that- they, they take in more imagery. They are more aware of things, but they don't necessarily understand them because they keep because they get it so much. It's watered down. Yeah, it's interesting, this idea of uh, being a connoisseur of this outrage or being this connoisseur of being upset mm-hmm. uh, in in the way that you're saying you're being desensitized to the imagery of a duck covered in oil. Mm-hmm. At some point, you watch it and say, "I've I've seen this. That's not as that's not as oil slicked as the last duck. That's right. That's hardly as shocking as it was the first time I saw it. Right. <laughs> uh, and and then you don't care as much. But but the generation that raises the next generation that has become desensitized to it, you're getting you're getting more and more desensitized. You don't move backward. You don't. It doesn't reset anymore. It used to reset. Yeah. It used to reset where. Something would happen to a generation, and then they would internalize that, and and then it then something different would happen to the next generation. Now we've sort of maintained this level of passing all of that on. I I would say actually our generation, and I know you're a little bit younger, but we watched the Challenger live on TV in school, mm. and I remember being in a classroom full of children mm-hmm. watching the space shuttle explode Mm -hmm. and the chaos that surrounded that immediately after it exploded when people didn't even realize what was happening i remember watching the launch people applauding then there was like wait a minute there was a smoke plume and then just billowing smoke on the screen and they would cut away and i remember reagan clapping because no one knew yet and then the teachers sort of processing what had happened Mm -hmm. right before we sort of processed what happened, and that was broadcast to every child right. in school right, across the country. Across the country, right. And then suddenly we had to talk about the reality of space What's shuttles blow up. Yeah. And this is— People the, die. People died. And this was supposed to be this huge leap forward, you know— and The new space program. The new it's, space program. It's the 80s. We're back. And nothing but your imagination and— you can reach for the stars and shit got real. Yeah, yeah. And that was something that sort of generationally Well, this is this leads me to the point that I was going to make that supports why gun uh, was it gunplay. Gunplay, it was gunplay. Um sticks with me to this day, right? So, um he talks about um the the fact like, you know, that when when for example, the World Trade Center happened. Right. You know, he's like, everyone saw it on television. Everybody knows where they were. The introduction to the book is, did the greatest generation talk about Pearl Harbor the way that people talked about the Kennedy assassination? He said the answer is no. And the reason is because in the Kennedy assassination, everybody in America had a TV in their home. TVs were more common. So more people saw it on television, had a direct experience relation to it. And in a way, if you saw it on television... It was realer to you 
than if you were actually at the parade. Because at the parade, you're isolated in one moment. Like everyone that was at the Challenger explosion, right. was th- that they'll only remember it from that one perspective. Whereas if you watched on TV, you saw all these different shots. You saw the president. You saw the news people. You saw everybody dealing with it. Whereas people that were there just kind of saw whoever was near them. Right. So Pearl Harbor, he's like, it happened. People who were there, it happened to them. It sucked for them. But when it got to the mainland... It's like it had watered down a little bit more because people didn't have a direct well, experience with it. Well, it became a, a cultural rallying cry, though. It became Remember a rallying cry, but it wasn't a cultural event, whereas the Kennedy assassination was more of an event because it was a unifying thing that everybody saw at the same time. I would say that Pearl Harbor was still a unifying event. The difference being is that it wasn't a shared event. Okay, it wasn't a shared event. And, By the time that people knew about Pearl Harbor in the United States or in the mainland United States— it was already – it already had kind of been filtered through the, like, exactly. we need to get behind it's our the boys filter. in blue. It's the filter. Whereas there wasn't a filter, or the filter was more immediate with the Kennedy assassination because we were watching it from five different angles. And then we saw, oh, who's that? Who's this? What's that? Well, who's and this? then it couldn't be spun because it was happening live. Oh, but, th- but now we've gotten better at spinning it. Well, yes. Spinning things at that, live. At that time – there was there was chaos because no one knew what to do and and what the story was and there was just mass confusion right in the immediate wake of that well two things and this is what he says because he, the introduction of his book is he was an actor he was an actor in the 60s he was studying the method right mm-hmm. he was in an acting class while this was happening while the while kennedy was being assassinated mm-hmm. He goes, he said, there's two kinds of actors, those who do tears and do, those who do anger. <laughs> He's like, I do anger. Right. Um, that's basically what I do. So he was talking about being in this class, teachers with them, teacher walks out, right? He's like, oh, I got to go. Uh, he sees some commotion in the hallway. He's like, let me go see what's going on, right? Assistant comes in and says, the president has been shot. And they think it's an exercise. They say, it's an exercise. They all go, it's a fucking exercise. So he's like, so suddenly we're like, okay, how would I feel? If the president had actually been shot, okay, I'm in the middle of it. Ooh, I'm angry. Ooh, and he was just talk, like describing all the different people, what they were doing to like feel the anger or the the rage or the the dis- despondent, whatever you were going for. The assistant comes back in. The president has been killed. Is now dead. Right? They announced him dead. And you're like, oh god, oh no, why, why? Then the teacher comes back in. It's like, what are you guys doing? This is actually real. The president actually has been shot. And the president actually is dead. And now there's a whole new round of emotion. But there wasn't. He's like, (laughs) we had already used up all our feelings. Oh, weird. We had used up our feelings to feel something that wasn't real. Then when we found out it was real, we were out of feelings. We were just numb at that point. He's like, it was just like, wait, but I just felt everything already. You know, there's another interesting thing that's happened more so now. Yeah. Which is, um, and 9-11 is actually an a good example of this because I remember I watched unfold live mm-hmm. on television, but I was a congressional aide at the time. Mm. Uh, so you were, I was in the district the office government. and then we, I remember dealing it from not just that level, but then from the army level, like my phone's going off and my father's phone's going off right, and right. now we're on alert and now we're waiting for the inevitable what's going to happen. But the lead up to that, after the first tower got mm-hmm. hit, I remember watching CNN and they were bringing in experts who were spinning 
already their point of view of what this was. And I remember one. I remember. I remember a legislator remember. talking about this is probably maybe might be a missile attack, and this is why we need missile defense. And was using that. And and when the second plane came around, I remember. Um, the newscaster saying, oh, and I believe this is a, a plane coming to survey. It's a small – and then just crashed right into the building as she's trying to – she's making up whatever it is that she making thinks up is shit. happening. Exactly. Wandering and aloud, as wondering, Liz used to say. Yeah, and she just – I'm just wondering aloud. Maybe this is a survey plane. Uh, it looks like it's circling around to survey the – oh, my God. And it was that moment of realization where something out of the ordinary is happening. It's useless to continue trying to make up make up shit shit about I've, what's happening. I no lo- I do not know what's happening. I, I'm scared. I'm concerned. This is real. This is real. What the fuck? Let's just watch what's happening now. And there's no words. And but it was even after that, everyone wanted to jump to some sort of conclusion. Right. Right. That supported whatever they thought was the case. Right, right, exactly. And then you got all sorts of misinformation. And in the Army, I deal with this all the time, actually, mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in public uh, public relations, public information, and right. dissemination of information. Uh, a lot of people would be surprised to know uh, that the, the most important thing for us to do is get information out in a timely manner, but also only the accurate information out. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of the frustration comes from we live in a society where you can just tweet away – and put out whatever you want. Yeah. And in when I'm in the army, even at when I was a congressional aide, things like that, a lot of times the reality is you don't know what the actual facts are just yet. So you just want to take an extra moment before you start throwing whatever out Whatever's there. Whatever's out there. Because whenever you start throwing stuff out there, that becomes part of the narrative. It becomes part of the narrative and it and it and it um dissolves or it it uh, what's the word I'm looking it for? Dilutes. It, it dilutes. It dilutes. It dilutes the truth. That's something that he talks about. He calls it – he just basically calls it the blob. But He's we, like, the blob eats everything. We live in the blob now. We live in the blob unless – he's like, unless it is something that is uh, – he said it's accident and uh, necessity. But even, even 9-11, which most everyone in America witnessed right. firsthand. Right. Look at what's popped up in the wake of that. Theory after theory. With the theory. Uh, conflicting uh, theories about it was an inside job. There weren't even planes. There were planes, but they were they had missiles on that them. That picture of the guy the, with the, the that was on top of the building. The that's picture fake. of the guy that's fake. Right. All these things add to diluting what we witnessed firsthand. People saw it firsthand. Right. I know people who are on the ground who witnessed shit firsthand. Right. That then people after the fact are like, ah, they faked that. They didn't that could never that happen happened in a sound studio. How could, how could that happen? How could planes even get close to the Pentagon? It happened. I mean, it, it it was a thing that happened. Right. But sometimes you don't want to believe that something horrific like that happened. And a lot of times these reactions are exerting control over things that you can't control. Can, or, can't control. Can't understand. Or process in a you know in in a way that makes you feel comfortable in life. Well, that's what he says. Is your real your real self comes out in accident or necessity. Mm-hmm. That you will react in ways you because our lives are routine. We have a plan. We wake up and we're like, "Here's my plan." You know, our personalities. He's like, our lives are performances. We perf- we 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 choose our sets, our costumes, oh, sure. et cetera, et cetera. So when something happens that out is outside of the performance, we drop our character and we go, "Oh shit!" I remember I was uh, I was just back from 
uh, Afghanistan. I went to uh, I took my mom to see the movies. We watched the summer blockbusters together. Aww. and uh, it was in it was July of what year? Uh, I think it was last year. I think it was actually. Oh, oh. I think it may have been. It was probably we were probably whatever we were seeing either Avengers or some some summer movie. But I right. I just been back, um, and we were walking out of the movie theater and fireworks started going off but it wasn't like on the fourth it was a precursor type thing it was just some celebratory thing but fireworks started going off and i immediately i didn't even realize i was doing it i put my arm out and pushed her behind me and i was looking around mm. i didn't even re- it was just my natural instinct based on my training and and i'm searching around i'm looking for it and protect my mom and she she said to me this sounds like a humble brag now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it out loud, and I now realize it sounds like a humble brag. It's totally fine. But she she said, "Well, I'm really glad that your your move was to protect me." <laughs> like she was like, "It was just fireworks." But it, it could have been you were like, <laughs> "Let me just move her in front of yeah, me a little it, bit." <laughs> it, it, I could have dove for cover behind a car. I could have heard fireworks and immediately dove for cover and just pushed her out and be like, "See what's out there, old yeah. lady." <laughs> <laughs> Take the old lady. Leave me out so of it. At least. But at least it was it was one of those things where when I wasn't even thinking of it, my my your instinct, instinct was protect your mom was protect my mom. I say that because a lot it's uh, not a lot of people's instinct. We were doing a uh, we were doing an exercise. It was an army exercise, and we had this real douchebag commander, mm-hmm. and he set up this media day, and then he he wanted to be this big hero and show the media how uh, how real it was. And he, meanwhile, he was setting up all these ridiculous scenarios, and we're gonna get. He's like, and we knew when we were gonna get ambushed, and we had to follow around with the camera. And it was really, it was absurd. It was absurd. Oh, it was absurd. Part of the blob. And when the insurgents, the fake insurgents, attacked uh, our commander and the crew, he had. We had a guy who was who was playing the role of our interpreter. He was one of the guys at the training center. Who actually is, a, is an interpreter, and so he was along. Did the, so this did the media know that this was fake. So the media knew this was fake, and what we were so just a little setup is we're at a training center, and what the training center's job was to run these units, uh, these army units uh, through uh, real world scenarios. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so you would have uh, a convoy, and you would go down, and they had roads that are set up to look like Iraq or Afghanistan, and you have uh, little stops along the way, and you'll have uh, local elders that you bring your interpreter along to talk to and you're trying to make some sort of deal or trade or or whatever it is that your mission is for that particular exercise. Mm-hmm. And then you have reactifier and insurgents will ambush you and you want to practice your security and you want to practice, uh, you know, your, uh, you want to make sure that you practice uh, your discipline and, mm-hmm. uh, and all those sorts of things and make sure you protect uh, civilians and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So these are what the training exercises are for. And he wants to do – so the training exercise is a fake run-through of real-world scenarios. Our particular commander at this, this time set up a fake, fake run-through. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, that he could, so that he could control what was going What's on. What's going to happen. Okay. And he was such a douchebag that when the insurgents attacked, he got behind our unarmed interpreter. It wasn't even a real scenario. This is a fake scenario. But his instinct, when the gun started going off, and unfortunately for him, we had this all on tape because it was media day. So everything about the exercise was taped. And that was his real self. It was a Michael Scott moment. It was a complete Michael Scott moment. Wow. Wow. 
Okay, well, two things. So, this is why gunplay is effective to me today. Sure. This is the other point he makes in the book, in the whole chapter about uh, children, protecting our children. So he's talking about the uh, the Holocaust, right? And he's like, uh, it is something that was horrible, but we've seen so many representations of it that we lose the the horribleness of it. He's like, we've seen all these movies. People don't even understand that the Holocaust was something that happened outside of movies. And he's like, no, because people look, it's 2013. People have been born after 9-11 that can use words. Yes. So it's like there's a point where they are not going to really understand that that was a real thing that happened. Right? It's just kind of like, oh, I've seen it in mo- – I saw that in a movie. 9-11, I saw that in a movie. Right? Okay. People kind of think that way about the Holocaust. Some people do. Well, sure, but then you get into, well, what about slavery? Exactly. What Which about- is the whole thing about Django and exactly. We haven't seen slavery – in a way like that, that that's what I think like Django Unchained uniquely in a mainstream Hollywood movie mm-hmm. portrayed slavery in a way that is n- I've never seen in that context. Sure. Okay. So he says that the, he's like, of course, the Jews are very concerned about history and are concerned about remembering. Sure. And he's like, but he, his theory was that uh, they're diluting what they want people to remember because they keep doing it over and over and over again then you're putting too much of that thing in the world and people can see all these different versions of it, it's going to lose its meaning. He said, here's my solution. All right? Don't say the final solution. Here's my final solution. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, not Jesus Christ. (laughs) Edit all of this out. (laughs) Elijah. Um, Not Elijah, Moses. Uh, Not Moses. How about just God? How about Yahweh? Okay, Yahweh. It's not Yahweh. Uh, Hashem. Uh, so <laughs> he said, here's what you do if you want the children to remember and to get it, to get that this was horrible. Put them through their own Holocaust. Lock everything away and never talk about it. What? He said, lock everything away, never talk about it. Put it in one place that you know, make sure that people know it's there, but never talk about it. And then when the kids are of age, Lock them in there with all that stuff and let them walk around and see it. They can't come out. It's the V for Vendetta it's, solution. He's like, just put them in there. They will, they will have all their the books, the movies, the, the holograms, the, all this stuff. He's like, they will see in one moment, one foul swoop, because this thing has been filled with all this mystery and things like, what is in there? No, I'm just imagining the awful Anne Frank hologram. And <laughs> someone's going to try to do it too, too good. It's like, uh, special effects are bad on this. Um, he's like, and then when they come out, they'll probably remember. He's like, now you're just like, you know, you're just like, oh, that's horrible. He's like, that's psychologically scarring for this kid. He's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. It has to be a little scarring. Well, luckily for the Jews, that type of thing happens every couple of generations or so. So, <laughs> well, it's like no, that's you're you're talking about the detractors, people who say the Holocaust didn't happen, right? Yeah. It's not that the Jews wouldn't say the Holocaust didn't happen. They just won't talk about it, and the kids will know. You go, "Okay, here's this thing that happened. Go in there for a month, and we do when you come out." It, the th- the problem with that is Okay, there's a plenty there's, of problems there's plenty with of it. Problems. 
And he's like, this is except, an option. Except that the one of the reasons why uh, I believe that uh, the Jewish faith has maintained through many iterations of history is because all Jews do is talk about everything that happened to them. Always. But they never stop talking about it, and that's actually part of the oral tradition. Right. That's how they keep the history going because, hey, this thing happened, and then every time something new happens, they're like, remember, we got to talk about this thing now too. Well, but that's the thing. There's like if you talk about something all the time, does it lose its meaning? And he's like, if you want it to be a long-lasting I will never forget, then you have to, to, to fill it with mystery and suspense and then they get to find all of it out. Uh huh. And how is that? How is that worked out for other organizations? Oh, it, that no one's do ever that? done that. Uh, sure, they do. Who did that? The Catholic Church. What? The Catholic Church does it for what? They lock lots of secrets away. There no, no, no. But this you is can't not, talk about. not a secret that they don't want anyone to know about. That's the difference. That's the Catholic Church doesn't want anyone to know about these things. He's just saying, look, you want them to know about it. You just don't talk about it in polite society. Then you put all of them in there. Well, that's a very waspy way to look at it. Well, yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm saying polite society. No, I'm just saying the idea of locking things away and never talking about it except for the one time and then never but talking like, about it again. But like a big time, not just yeah, like an hour. But you lock them in there. They cannot leave. But isn't that like a very like waspy New England rich family way of, of – we, we don't discuss our feelings. Well, he's none know? of those things. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that particular solution seems to me hmm. to be a very unhealthy way to deal with. But it's not. It's not nature. based in denial, though. That's the difference. It's not denial. We're it's not, not denial, or it's just kind of like, "Hey, what happened with it? Oh, you'll find out." You just always just like you'll find out. It's so, just so life becomes a creepy horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And guess who the ghost is? The Nazis. That's who the ghost is. So that's one thing. Okay, that's why gunplay. Sticks with me because I'd never fucking seen th- oh, something like sure. that, you know, where it was like, you're right. It was like, I remember it being that Twilight. You built this tension. Right. You knew what was going to happen. You knew something was there. Pinter. It's very Pinter. Oh, yeah. And then when it happened, I was like, what the? F-? It was just jarring. And it's, it, was a, it was a tragedy. And, right. and if I didn't see your head blow up, I wouldn't remember it. It would have just right. been. It would have just been another. I've seen that fifty times, but this is the one time I saw it and and understood to an extent as best as I could. That's a real thing. That's fucking awful. I don't want, ever want to touch a gun ever. And I, you know what? I I, I remember seeing gunplay before because when was this? Eighty? It was ninety. It came out in nineteen ninety. I believe because I because that oh the early nineties man because there was so because. And I was just thinking about this while you were talking about in a way that the difference between boys in the hood and minister society, <laughs> which which boys in the hood is a tragedy. Right. Minister society is a l- more of a glorification. Sure. OK, that's that was what I, that's what yeah. I would say. Boys in the hood. You care about these characters. You care about Cuba Gooden Jr. Right. So when all the shit goes down, there's so much more of a basis of who these people are and what they could be. There's something about. How mundane that last day is. Exactly, Minnesota society is is like everything's blowing up. Everyone's violent. It's inevitable. Everyone's angry in the entire society, time. It's inevitable. It's an inevitability. But in Boys in the Hood, it's this is a trap. This is a. This system. could have been stopped at this, any at any point. This could have been stopped. And that's what makes it a tragedy, as opposed to Minnesota society. Now, 
with gunplay, same thing. That's what I see there. Right. It's like this didn't have to happen, and that's the whole point. And what was really interesting about that, and um, the Darling family, um, I, I I had kept in touch with them for a couple of years, but he, uh, um, Brian Darling's father, mm-hmm. makes an intro and an outro mm-hmm. in which he calls for just responsible gun ownership, and it wasn't about. It get was in rid the of, thing, wasn't it? Yeah, and it wasn't I, about I remember that. Remember that. Get Cut rid of the, the guns. Upset father. It wasn't about you know don't own these guns. It was about you need to handle these things responsibly. If you have them in the house, you need to educate your children. They're not toys. These are things that uh, need to be treated with care, and you need to be responsible. And even if you don't have a gun, someone in your neighborhood might have a gun. Right. And you need your child needs to be aware of this. You need to have you know. It, it was very much about or. Never talk about the guns <laughs> until lock them shot. up in one room, and then for a month lock that kid in the room with all the guns. They'll know everything they're supposed to know about guns. <laughs> <laughs> and then lock all the kids in a room with the guns, and whichever kid lock comes a gun out, in a kid with <laughs> lock a gun in a room. Never talk about children around a gun. Never talk about children. Then one day put a gun in a room with only but children. Kids. Just kids. That gun will never shoot a kid again. Never be the same. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. That's stupid. Let us transition. Uh, I know. Yeah. I'm. I'm also just thinking about several things that yeah. probably need to be cut out of this. Just because. We'll see. We'll see. We'll but see. I mean, for national security reasons. Okay. <laughs> NSR. They already know. They already know. They're tapped into my iPad. They're tapped into me. I mean, they're tapped into you. They anything I say is directly they got a chip translated and uh, transmitted to. But OK, so anyways, oh, Hazel, 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 Hazel. I mean, that's the other thing is that like. My most my most hated expression, mm-hmm. I hate, I hate this expression is it was like a movie or it was so surreal. He has a whole thing where he dissects yeah, those that and it's and. And it's the blob. He's like, it is our manifestation of the blob every single time. We have seen these images done better than real life. He's like, sure. that's the contradiction there, is that you saw the, the plane go into the building. You saw the explosion, and some people were like, these special effects suck. We've already seen that scene. And then some people were thinking, this could never happen in real life. I've only seen this in movies. I've only movie. seen this in movies. You know? And then also... When someone says something is so surreal, I mean, I've heard people say that about like, oh, the sunset. Oh, it was like a movie. Oh, I had this really interesting experience. I ran into this person and then another person. It was like a movie. It's like, no, a movie was like that. That's what a movie is recreating. The sunset doesn't need a movie. Oh, yeah. The movies need sunsets. My favorite is, our family's like a sitcom. Oh, God, I've never heard that one. (laughs) Of course your family's like a sitcom. The sitcoms are based on family interactions. And plus, that's the other thing. It's art imitating life, life imitating art. It's just like we've seen these sitcoms. We've seen these movies. Sure. We, we, you know, I mean, I have a theory about why certain younger generation uh, people who are comedy fans don't like earnestness. Mm-hmm. And they don't like people actually saying what their feelings are about something is mm-hmm. because we've watched all these sitcoms where people talk around in jokes and they're like, I want to be like that. So they don't know how to express anything they need to say. They're always trying to be above everything and trying to speak like a sitcom script. What? Your eyes are moving, well, darting some, back and forth. Some sitcoms also do that thing where we're going to talk around everything. And then in the third act, it's, oh, but you know that I love you so much, baby. Even that doesn't, though ha- I that doesn't happen you. in real life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the part that doesn't actually happen. People don't happen. learn their damn lessons in the third act. But I think that's why people resist the earnestness in real life is because – 
in a well, si- well, this is we're saying this for the third act is what they're thinking. Yeah, exactly. Or it's just that doesn't really happen. Like that Cosby moment of the dad comes in and says, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong this time. It doesn't happen. And that's what he's just wrong. He gets defensive about it. He gets defensive for about 15 it. 15 years and you stop talking. Starts to him. drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you go to college. You and you're like, you know college. what? I'm never going to fucking talk to that guy again. And, uh, you know, that's just what happens. That's his life. That's I mean, his that's, life. That's right. His life. Hilarious. Anyway, that's our show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's called That's Just Life. It's called where no one ever learns anything. No one learns a lesson. They just go <laughs> off into the world and stop talking to each other. So basically, you start with a huge cast. By the end of season one, we're down to just three cast members. Who are yeah. talking to each other? It's it's also the Omega Man <laughs> because one of the cast members is the president and has their finger on the button at all times. And guess what? He didn't like what Shaniqua said to him. I don't know. That's all I could think about. <laughs> that's all you can think about is Shaniqua. I'm just thinking about like why? What's a petty reason to end the world? It's because Shaniqua said something he didn't but like. But you know that's how the world's gonna end. I know, man. It sucks. It's not gonna be because of some. It's not gonna be like principle. Kim Jong Un. It's gonna be. It's going to be like Shaniqua. Bitch said what? Look. I'll show her. Look, if the president has been is in a bad mood all day, then he hears. Like, if the president. And then he to, hears what Shaniqua don't believe. What don't, look, if the president goes to CVS, he gets cut in line. <laughs> someone steps on his shoes without saying, I'm sorry. Um, then they like. Then he has a bad basketball game. He has a bad basketball game. And Shaniqua is giving him all this attitude from when he's trying to lines. pick up. He can't concentrate. Exactly. He's like, he's trying to pick, all he's trying to do is pick up some headache medicine for Michelle. And she's like, well, you don't have her ID and you ain't no Michelle. And he's like, I'm the fucking president. Doesn't that count for something? Sir, I still need to see an ID. By the way, if President Obama had a Shaniqua following him around yeah. all day, every day. Yeah, it would, it would actually. But wouldn't that explain a lot of what's happening right now <laughs> in the country? <laughs> Like, look, I'm trying to deal with Congress. I got the sequester going. Shaniqua, not now. Shaniqua, <laughs> enough. Shut up. Shut up, Shaniqua. <laughs> just, just one day. I just need to, I just need to concentrate oh, on this. Shaniqua and keeps then... talking to me about her daughter. What's her daughter's name? Sequester. <laughs> oh. I know. I know. Stupid. Which, which ties us back to sequester, please. Je- oh Jesus, ties us back to. Our theme that we're just barely getting to. We're just barely came just bar- up with. And we, I didn't even get to your story. I want to hear your story. I'll tell the story. We can start here. <laughs> no, I'm leaving a lot of this no, in. this is all in. This is all in. This is good shit. Baron Vaughn, all in. Baron Vaughn, I'm all in. <laughs> Every single hand of poker, I'm all in. Hang on, let me check with Shaniqua. Mm-mm. Shaniqua, I'm going all in. Tell mm-hmm. Sequester to shut up. Your other daughter, Trillion Dollar Coin, is calling? All right, that's stupid. <laughs> stupid, I know. So anyway, Justice. Justice. What the dick is that? It's justice. It's it's balance. Isn't As it? Richard Pryor once said about going to a prison, you go up there expecting to find justice, and that's exactly what you find. Just justice. us. Just us. Uh, justice. You know, you know, Baron. Ooh, our people aren't so different. <laughs> Just always wanted to say that. Oh, good God. We're not so different, you and I. You talk about the Jews and the blacks. Jews and the blacks. That couldn't possibly be. Explain. Uh, Jews and the blacks. Uh, a lot of, a lot of what we have internalized as just as individuals, just as people based on our cultural background, uh, have to do with the knowledge that real life is not by default just, Mm, uh, that justice is not something that's handed down. Justice is usually something that has to be fought for, 
one earned maintained maintained and ha- and you have to be you have to be vigilant you have to watch out because injustice occurs all the time and it's incumbent upon us to ensure that the scales are balanced and whatever other cliches you want to invoke but mm-hmm. that's that's really um you know, I think that that, and it's not just. I was going to let you know if I was a congressman and you were interviewing to be my aide, and you said that hired, <laughs> hired. That's how I got the job as a congressional <laughs> aide. Uh, but it's, but it's also it, it can be. Uh, it, it really goes with any anyone who's been in a minority position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if has if, suffered an injustice. If you've suffered an injustice, if you, I mean, whether you're, you know, the Irish at the uh, turn of the 20th century in America. Irish whether, need not apply. Whether you're women, whether you're Latino, whether whatever, whatever. Uh, Suffragettes, <laughs> fuck you. Show me your papers in Arizona. If you're any type of person who at some point in your life, your people were not allowed to do something because. People just decided they didn't like you. People just decided that they didn't like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you you kind of have that in your DNA, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that's a lot of what's actually going on right now. Is there is a uh, the death rattle of the old guard in power, mm-hmm. uh, and they're fighting really hard to not let go of sort of. And again, I put in quotes the old ways, their way, but. You know, the old ways were that of maintaining power in the hands of a very few and limiting it, its access to other people. Mm-hmm, and now mm-hmm. other people uh, are are taking over. Because there's a lot of us. Because there's a lot of us. And it's not just, you know, black people. It's not just Latinos. It's not just women. It's not just Jews. It's just everyone else. Everyone else who has suffered at the hands of the few. Um you know, they, it might be that there's an institution that like there's some sort of institutional law that prevents you from doing something that you feel uh, you need to do or is is your right to do or somebody just fucking gave you a swirly too many. And you're like, you know what? That group of people fuck them. Right. <laughs> and, but it also the thing that's difficult is that there's no there's no set way of how you go about balancing the scales. Right. And. I mean, if you want to talk about Django Unchained, which is a classic revenge story, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and people will cheer because all those white slavers were, uh, you know, blowed all up. those all those white slave owners were were blowed up and shot up real good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one way to exact justice, but does that solve the problem? You know what? Does did that I solve you, the problem of slavery? Did you no. see? Did you see the New York Times review of Django Unchained? No. Fantastic. All right. They usually are. I mean, he said it's interesting what he said is at the same time, we have Django Unchained and Lincoln. Yes. He's like, they're both. He's like, they, these oh, two I movies. Oh, I did read this. Yeah, I did read this. Like, these yeah. two movies are basically like different solutions to a problem. Yes. And he's I, like, it's almost like a stand up bit. Yep. He's like, black people in slavery like this. Plantation <laughs> blows up. White people in slavery like this. Legislation. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I was like, that's fucking great. But, you know, there is that, there is that sense of. Uh, but how do we go about doing this? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's because no one can necessarily always get on the same page, right? Right. About how to go about balancing the scales. That's where you get this very awkward struggle for progress. Well, because you don't even know until you're you're on the path to that. 
there's so many everyone has so many loaded assumptions of how that's supposed to look sure so it's like you veer off when you're on the way to something it's like well we should do it like this like whoa 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 but that leaves out this this and this it's like yeah but we don't need them yes we do well there's you know there's the uh you know i remember in this i remember in this whole uh gun control debate uh there was a naturally gop legislator who yeah. uh it was on it was on uh, martin luther king jr's birthday, birthday and he was saying uh he said something along the lines of uh, you know, if black people were allowed to own guns back in the days of slavery, we probably wouldn't have had that terrible period of time in American history. And it's so stupid for so many wow. reasons. Because, you know, he's they're trying not to have any limitations on owning guns. But the reality if is... black people were allowed to have guns... <sighs> Wow, and, that's <laughs> incredibly ignorant it's, and short-sighted. And but it's one of those things where, you know, you go, that's that's true. If they had guns, they'd probably just shoot everyone, and then we wouldn't have had slavery. Yay, guns win again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, except that's not how it works. And in fact, many of the gun laws that we have on the books we have because guns were used to maintain slavery as an institution, and so. It was imperative that uh, plantation owners could own guns to keep their slaves in line, and mm-hmm. you could have uh, you could round up posse's and things like that. So a lot of the laws that are still on the books were actually implemented. They reflect a different time. They reflect <laughs> yeah. that time. They reflect that and those time. priorities. And you know, it it really goes to this sense of um, how you, how you want to view history, like through what lens you want to view history uh but i think that in general justice tends to win out as long as people are fighting for it but that doesn't mean that you are going to see it in your time right. or even actually feel that you're getting justice right right and then also you can't just trust it no you can't just be like ah that'll work itself out you got to do something well i mean as as a jew uh, you know i look and say okay there, there's that sort of joke of every Jewish holiday is they tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard that. Joke. And yeah, well, it's classic. Let me tell you. Well, wait a minute. You're telling me that Jewish people have jokes. They Jewish people tell jokes. It's a rarity, oh. but it occurs. Well, and, uh, you know, look forward to that in the next millennium. Okay. I thought it was just Whoopi Goldberg was the only Jew with jokes. It, pretty much. Sammy Davis Jr. Told a few. Oh, okay. All right. He was the funny one Maybe in the yeah, rat pack. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah. the only two Jewish, the only two Jewish people, people in the Rat Pack, Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. And Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, they're the only two Jewish people. Um, oh, the Ro- Whoopi Goldberg was in the Rat Pack. But just, they're the only two Jewish people that come to mind. That's of. it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that uh, I think that it is one of those things, though, where uh, so you look you look at like the history of you know the Jewish people. How could you believe in justice when <laughs> every it's so cyclical where. It's like, okay, we're going to work hard, and we're going to do this thing and live in this society, and oh, no, now they're coming to kill us again. Uh, they blamed witchcraft on us. All right, let's move to a new continent. Ah, they don't like us here either. Let's go over here. Okay, we'll just go back home to the Middle East. Oh, they don't like us in the Middle East either. They don't like us anywhere. You mean do-do-do-do-do-do. But that doesn't make you stop yearning for justice that doesn't right. make you stop working toward a and more... wanting something better for the next generation yeah and working toward a more just society 
and you know the the reality is that that it is complicated to figure out exactly what the best thing to do is or where uh where the, f- the you know you pick your battles mm-hmm. you know where the next winnable battle is mm. um because it is one of those things too where uh, you want to ensure that you're you're making things better. That the, that this you know our generation doesn't care about uh, gay marriage, right? I mean, th- we we just don't. We, we don't, don't. We don't care. We about don't it. care who gets married. Uh, it's a it's 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 our generation has already. But that was like, different eh. twenty years twenty years oh, yeah. ago. That was huge. Ten years ago. Ten years ago, I'd say yeah. gay marriage was still a, a poison pill on a ballot. Mm-hmm. We've gotten to the point now where we don't care. So in terms of gay rights. You know, we are we are we are working towards you and I don't care, but the people who are 10 years and 20 years older than us. Yes, but still but, do. But as the but as a generational shift. Right, right. The generation before us, they did their jobs well in teaching us to be more tolerant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so as long as every generation sort of has that, they didn't win it. And, you know, the people who fought for gay rights a generation ago, they might not have had that justice then. But the justice comes from this generation is totally in favor of people being happy and living their lives and not being interfered with by people who but it doesn't matter. If gays were given guns, we would, we would have gay have, marriage a long time ago. We wouldn't even be in this we would time even, in America. When we talk about gay marriage, everybody would be gay married <laughs> if yeah. the gays had guns. Of course. There'd be nothing but shotgun weddings. Nothing but <laughs> you are getting gay married. But I'm not gay. You're getting gay married right the fuck now. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yikes. Um, you are going to get these tax benefits. You're getting these benefits. You and my son. Uh, and I am your medical proxy. <laughs> okay. I want these rights, damn it. <laughs> so, uh, okay. How would you differentiate between justice and fairness? That's an excellent question that I haven't thought about at all. Oh, I love to listen to you figure that shit out. I don't think justice is necessarily fair. True. Uh, you know, to go back to— Well, because, you know, this is a thing I, I realized—I didn't realize this until the last couple of years. A phrase I have never, ever said in my life is, that's not fair. I realized it. I just—I've never talked—I rarely ever say the word fair or unfair— <laughs> And I never have used it in like, well, that's not fair or that's unfair. That's not fair for you to say that because it's like, hmm, I guess I just always believed that it doesn't really matter. Not that it doesn't really matter. It's just that like me pointing out that something is unfair for me mm-hmm. personally isn't going to do anything. That I have to – pointing out that it's unfair does nothing. It's what I do with the fact that it's unfair. Yeah, I, I – I do would... about the fact that it's unfair. I mean, in my experience, yeah, um, shit ain't fair. Just you know, you roll with the punches. You, you, you gotta you figure out a way to go around it or to knock it down. It's what it's what you make of it, and what you do, and what you learn from it, and life experience. But if you go around working for fairness, you're probably not going to achieve that. In fact, a lot of justice, you know, a lot of what makes the the quest for justice the quest for justice. Is probably born out of unfairness. It's like something unfair happened. Like yes. these people okay. are not being treated fairly. I am not being treated fairly. Something that is not fair happened to me. Therefore, I'm going to seek justice. I'm going to try and balance the scales so that 
it doesn't happen again. And a lot of times, justice doesn't mean that you're going to make up for the bad thing that happened in the past. You're just going to ensure that the bad thing doesn't happen in the future. Would you say that um, ju- that like justice is like a response to fairness? Which is kind of like something like, fa- like fairness is a thing that either does or doesn't happen. If something unfair happens, then the, the solution to it is justice. It's like like fairness is going to happen, but if something unfair happened, well, then you want justice. Sure, I'm I'm making stuff up as as we go along. Sure, too. I can see how you can make stuff up. I'm just curious. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you know, if everyone had guns, we would have made stuff up a long time ago. You know what? <laughs> if if people with great imaginations had guns a long time ago, if Lady Justice weren't blind and had a gun, she would have shot fairness in the face. Unfairness, I mean to say. People don't know, but Statue of Liberty used to carry a shotgun. She used to carry a shotgun. Now she's got a torch, and look at all the immigrants She used now. to carry a shotgun and had a snake that had a snake shotgun. That's right. We wouldn't have all these immigrants if the Statue of Liberty still had her shotgun. It would be like, it would be like buyer beware. It wouldn't say, come, come one, come all. <laughs> it would be like, come one, shut up. It used to mean something different. Bring me your tired, your poor. Bring me your tired, your poor. Yeah, I'll put them out of I'm their misery. Put, I'm going to shoot them. <laughs> I'm going to put them I'm out of their misery. Them. I'm going to get him under this boot. Or should I say sandal? <laughs> should you? Okay. Anyways, all hazels. So justice and fairness. Let's get back on that that train. Or you, or, you, or you hate that train. The justice train? The justice train. I don't know where this train is going, but we're going to find fair. out. Somewhere fair. Mm, Fairy maybe. town? Nope, that's not right. I don't know. I think, I think that um, it's something that... Uh, I don't know. It's, it's Well, I guess... I just, you know what I'm thinking also is... is, is uh, I've I very ever rarely heard the phrase I want justice, <laughs> like the phrase I want justice, unless it's coming from someone with a shotgun. <laughs> really, that's just kind of like how many how many how many people wielding shotguns do you do you really interact with? Oh, none. Just, on a daily basis, just just them on television. Just when they're it's on. like the movies. It's like it's like it's so surreal. <laughs> um. It's because it's like a sitcom. My family's like a sitcom. Is what I'm trying to say. It's like a movie, and it's really surreal. Look, what? I was wrong, and I just want you to that know that happen. that the last two acts. If everyone at family, <laughs> if everyone at family had a shotgun, everybody would be wrong. Everybody would be All right. <laughs> Bill Cosby had a shotgun. He would never be. Claire would never call him on his bullshit. She would never call him on his bullshit, and they would lock that shit away in a room and never, never talk, talk about, about it. it. They would just put it in there, and then Rudy. Theo, <laughs> Sandra, and and Jello is nothing but Jello. Nothing but Jello as far as the eyes can see. Oh, oh god! Boy. Oh man! Yeah. So it depends. Uh, I think that we. I think this is this is where I get all sappy about America. Go do it, man. Because I don't hear people get sappy about America enough. Because as because as imperfect as it is, it's mm-hmm. the only institutionalized government that's actually always seeking to form a more perfect union. It's, it's, it is stated in our Constitution that we can get better, that we as a people can evolve and get better. And that even though – and you know, people talk about, oh, well, our forefathers owned slaves. Yeah, but they, <laughs> but they knew that, that one day, hopefully – People would evolve beyond that, mm-hmm. and they they put in provisions where that could be made possible. And you know, we talked about Lincoln, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why Lincoln felt it was so important to have an amendment, a 
abolishing slavery was because at that particular time in history, that was the moment to make that happen. It might not have been possible if they waited for Reconstruction and and uh, you know the bitterness of the Civil War. Right. Uh, you know he 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 had it was a now or never opportunity. It was a now or never opportunity, and by hook or by crook, he he made that happen, and they jammed it through. And uh, you know it wasn't as altruistic as people want to believe. I mean that's was one of the things that the movie did well was they really talk about the mechanics of the political process and the backroom deals and really what it takes. Well, for... you know he turned in a 500-page screenplay. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Tony Kushner? I wouldn't be surprised. And then Spielberg is like, uh, this little section right let's here. Let's make it about the 13th Amendment. Let's make it, like, this section right here is great. But I think that that's, that's really, um, you know, that's, that's justice. Was it, was it fair that so many people died in the Civil War? Was it fair that all those people were enslaved uh, for so long and the country was was birthed out of revolution that was that was built on the backs of slaves? Um, was it fair that the war was prolonged, that the Civil War was prolonged uh, a little while longer because they passed the amendment? Um, probably not. But was justice achieved? There, there was more. You know, I think I think right. that. The right side of history. I think that history will 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 show that you know justice prevailed in that instance. Maybe not in the short term for them. Was it fair that Lincoln got shot in the head because of it? No, <laughs> you know. Oh, but, you were, I didn't know you were waiting for me to answer. Uh, you, you, oh, I was going to be like, I like that you were thinking about that. We're like, well, that guy. <laughs> no, of course it was not fair. Wait a minute. Of course it was not fair. That's a, <laughs> that's a statement I don't necessarily need to say. I take that statement back. I, don't I like, think to, I like mean, to retract that statement. Could you, uh, could you uh, strike I don't think, that from the record? I don't believe that needs to be qualified. I, uh, I just, just to, uh, a simple yes or no would you know suffice. But if you want to qualify it, um, that's, it's not that's until on your I head. start trying to do my Woody Allen that I realize how bad it is. Like it's not good. It's I'm really bad at doing Woody Allen. Yeah, but the world is ready for a black Woody Allen. A, a bl- bl- bloody Blallin? <laughs> no, not that. Bloody Blallin? <laughs> bloody Blallin? What's the uh, what's wrong with the uh we um hey, I uh you know I just you know want to point out that you know when you know black people drive um we, uh, I, I, I I like to stay indoors. Did you uh have you ever seen my character Lord Blackworth in Agroville? Yes, I have. Did you see, Would you do it for us right now, well, Mr. Vaughn? I, I, I came up with a new joke, which was black people, white people drive. I have three questions to ask him. What? Wait, when hold you on. you get to heaven. Let me get, let me <laughs> get in there. Let me get into the character. I would like to point out. I said at the beginning character. I would like to point out to our audience listening at home that you may fast forward about two minutes. Hello, I'm Lord Blackworth de Negroville. When you get to heaven, what do you want God to say to you? What do I want God to say to me is, thank me you're here. Everyone's shoes need to be changed. Meaning that I'm in charge of picking shoes. People have bad fashion in heaven is what I'm trying to say. Wow. No, this is a good character. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hate you. Um... I'm done. Because <laughs> when I said everyone's shoes need to be changed, like, oh, it makes it sound like I'm a servant. That's not it what totally I totally mean. did. You totally. That's <laughs> not what I mean. I don't mean like, oh, we needed a servant in here in heaven. Baron, it was just like, I, oh, you know fashion. That was Baron, to be. I really 
I applaud your <laughs> your commitment to setting the movement back. Uh, <laughs> when you get to heaven, this character is going to be shining shoes. What's interesting, and it's what's weird, is that I'm setting the movement. I'm setting black people back, but only for people that are listening to this podcast. Right, like anyone that just heard that. Black people just got set back. So, like, uh, I don't even remember. I don't even know how many people listen to this podcast, honestly. Hopefully, hopefully, not that many. Not that many. Not enough to set people black back. Man. <laughs> set it black. Man, if I had great numbers and people heard this podcast, whew, Baron, I wouldn't have a podcast Baron, anymore. you know that if you just had a gun. I got myself have, a gun. You would have awesome numbers. I'd have a great podcast. People would be numbers. too afraid uh, not to listen. Shotgun podcast. <laughs> hey, listen to this. What are you podcast. doing for the next hour and a half? You listen to this podcast, damn it. Get on that treadmill and listen. Oh, we're back to the lady on the treadmill. Oh, the lady on the Wow, I forgot about that. Oh man. She just she just face planted again. It's just it's just it's, it's Oh my it's, god, they're talking about me, me again. It just makes sense to, to talk that people on treadmills are listening. Anyway, um, Justice, fairness. Uh, well, how is it that uh, this manifests in your everyday life? Because we're talking about justice on a, a big scale. Sure. But I know for being a person that knows you and knows you as long as I have. Oh, sure. That you um, you have a very um, – what's the word I want to look for? I don't want to say strict. Strict is not right. But you have certain rules that you mm-hmm. like to live your life by that you hold other people up to. Sure. Um, but – and I feel like I hear you say, like, well, this thing happened, therefore, this must be true, and this person must do this for this thing to be undone. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you're, 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 you, you, you. Would you care to elaborate on that, Mr. Well, Mr. Black Worthington? You, you, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> it's about shoes. Um, that sounds too much like Stewie right now. Yes, it's about shoes. Um, just that, like, you're a guy who. You look to people's behavior to tell you what it is they think. It's like, well, I thought they thought this, but now that they have said this thing, they must. It's like, because you shouldn't do this unless you mean this. I am very much uh, a social rule reader. Well, I I be- Seinfeld. I believe that Larry David. I believe that what you do is who you are. Right. Okay. All right. And you can I, – I believe people talk a great game. But what about when people know not what they do? But that's that's different. Oh, because Jesus is involved? No, because that's that's not the question you asked. But weren't we supposed to forgive them that don't know, do know, know not what they do? They can absolutely be forgiven. Okay. And we can forgive them. The, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that yeah. whether – if you know not what you do, yeah. that's because you say one thing and do another. You, that means you don't know who you do. And so you don't know <laughs> you. You don't know you. Oh, which doobie do you be? How did we end up? <laughs> I don't know. Why, how did you end up as like. We're just a couple of doobie brothers. What can oh, I say? man. I know. And we're like, you fucking rerun. Oh, good God. Not necessarily. That's Fred Barry. Doobie, what you do. Didn't they? To me. Wasn't that an episode of What's Happening? They bootlegged Doobie Brothers? Yeah, no. And they had a whole conversation. And, it was, and he got on the phone Michael and he McDonald's said. Doobie Brothers too? It was pre-Michael McDonald's. I believe it was. Ooh. But he says, which Doobie do you be? Oh, good God. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's what you're quoting. Okay. That happened. I don't remember the episode. I just remember that conversation. It's just yeah. like the Doobie Brothers. Like, that's not cool, Fred Barry. Yeah. It's like, why what? is he not <laughs> Earth, Wind, and Fire? That's all I ever thought. It's like, he should not be at that concert. Did nobody notice? Like, of course. First of all, you're the only black person at the Doobie Brothers concert. Did you're holding up a recorder at the same time? Way to stay fucking conspicuous, inconspicuous. 
Okay. No, none of the no, no rock star guest star was ever inconspicuous on a sitcom. No, because they couldn't. They would just, and they were always showing up at high schools and college campuses and I, fundraisers I and just people's time, backyards. Too much time thinking that at some point, like that particular rock star is just going to walk through my door and teach me a lesson in like, the third act. Yeah, Joe Namath was always going to stop by and throw around the football in the backyard just because. It's like, oh, Joe Namath is here. Of course he is. It's You're you're on my list. I'm going through every going through. neighborhood. I remember I used to have a joke about the uh, about the Cosby show when they were all hanging out with Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah. And he had that keyboard. And I and I and the joke, it was a bigger joke, but I remember saying it's like, but, and that's, by the way, that's every black family hung out with Stevie Wonder for like 20 minutes in the 80s. That's what I thought. I'm just saying that's what Reagan gave America. Well, then God bless him. <laughs> Proud to be an American All right. Where at least I know I can see Stevie Wonder for 20 minutes And he'll show me his cool keyboard So let, But he can't see oh, me Oh no, I didn't Boo. want you to make that joke I didn't want you to make that joke Boo. Boo. So go back to what you were saying <laughs> Before the Doobie Brothers Yeah, the Doobie Brothers thing um, Do you remember what the train of thought was? Yeah, the train of thought okay. was uh, That I think people are what they do And I think that you can you can talk about you can talk about what you want to do you can talk about who you want to be but the reality is what you do in life is is basically that's your character that's your actions the, your actions are who you are and if you want to change that you know you got to change your actions and we can have conversation after conversation but at some point you know you realize okay this person always says says that they're going to do this but then they never follow through and that's who that person is and that's fine that's not a judgment that's just knowing that that's who that type of person is and i think that we get into problems with fairness and justice when you want people to <laughs> not be true to their characters like oh that's the this is the kind of person who will do this thing mm-hmm. you know this is the you know not to get all you know it's the scorpion in the whatever the the turtle is it a turtle that he go spins? ahead and get all i don't know what you're talking about but go there's ahead and some get all. there's there's like a there's a uh I, I, let's just say it was a turtle but there's a there's like a parable about a scorpion and a turtle and the turtle's got to get to the, the scorpion needs to get to the other side and the turtle's like well if uh you get on my back and i bring you across you'll just you'll just sting me you know while i'm while i'm while bringing I'm... you across the the, the river because okay. you're, you're a scorpion right and the scorpion's like that would be stupid we would if I sting you, then you'll drown and we'll both die. So just bring me across the river. So the scorpion hops on the turtle's back and they're halfway across. And then the scorpion stings the turtle. And the turtle's like, "You said you it was stupid." And they're drowning. And the scorpion's like, "What do you want? I'm a scorpion. It's what I do." And then they drown and die because the scorpion is it's by nature it can't help itself. Like that's the that's the point of that particular story. So don't be surprised like when a scorpion stings okay. you. That's that's the parable. But if Walt Disney did it, first he, of all. The scorpion would have incredible singing voice. Oh my god, there would be such a great Whoa. musical number. There would be like scorpions and turtles together oh, yeah. going across a river right now. Plus, there would be like a fox who would come by and save the turtle at the last second. Exactly, and then and then the scorpions because you know what it is. The scorpion's mad. The scorpion just got a new fight with the scorpion mom and dad. Sure, about scorpion school and they're not listening in scorpion chemistry or scorpion math, and their scorpion grades are scorpion bad. Right? Sure, sure. So the scorpion's not in a good scorpion mood when it's no. trying to go across the river, no. and he's like scorp 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 scorp. I'm right? scorpion mad. I don't know what's happening. Um, that's sad. That parable. But yeah. okay, go ahead. You're saying don't look for a, don't look at a scorpion and assume. And, and think, and assume oh, it's not, not going to be a scorpion. Exactly. Don't assume they're not going to act like a scorpion. Um, now, the way to 
bring justice into that mm-hmm. is in what ways can I act that like don't set you know don't one put me in the path of a scorpion, mm-hmm. but two like wh- how can I make this better so the scorpion's not so mad and stings people right like how can I change that scorpion which kid? is hard if you're a Scorpio that's that's hard yeah uh, but. And I think that's where a lot of things come from. That's where it gets into generationally. You need to move forward so that, like, that generation of Scorpion is the generation of Scorpions that sting people. But their kids don't have to be. They can, they can learn. They can learn that it doesn't have to be that way. And you can break those patterns. You can break those cycles. And I think when you stop looking at the past and how you can undo things that have already happened that you can't change, you're going to get... If, if all you do is look at the past, you're not going to get anywhere and you're not going to make any progress towards justice because that can't be changed We're, unless we start quantum leaping, and that's probably a few years off. That's Yeah, only but a few years. If though. you look to the future and say, well, what lessons did I learn and how can I change that pattern? How can I make things better in the future? Right. Then that, I think, is the healthier way to try and get justice, not for... Changing these things that are set in stone. Not for trying to make scorpions not be scorpions. Right. You got to work around the scorpions. Work around the scorpions. Know the scorpions exist. Yeah. But then make things better for the scorpions' kids because then the scorpions' kids are going to be like, well, my dad was a real angry scorpion because he had just lost his job because, you know, they were the sequester. He was a scorpublican. He was a scorpublican. I'm a scorpocrat. I'm I'm a scorpitarian. I'm a scorpitarian. (laughs) I'm a scorpitarian. I believe in like. I waver between scorpitarian and scorpitendent. Uh, you know, all we really need is a king of the jungle, and that's it. Just that. We My great 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 grandfather <laughs> was the founder of the Scorpulists. Uh, all right, that was sickening. <laughs> we get we get in that scorpion tangent. What can you do, man? It's but does that make, I don't know if anything that I said makes any sense. Well, try saying it again. Uh, no, I'm joking. Yes, you're just saying that like you have to. What you know, you can't. You're saying who you are, right? Is what you do, right? So. When you see what people do, that tells you who they are. Right. You can't expect them to be somebody else. Correct. But what you can do is be yourself. Right. Put your put speak truth to power, suit the action of the word and the word to the action, work around the scorpions and make things better for the little scorpions. So that way they're not such scorpions. Right. Does that make any sense? I don't know. No, I don't. I, I, you know, I'm hearing it back and it makes even less sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Let's <laughs> make sure. All right. We're, are we talking about insects, though? I, 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 think, like... I think the scorpions are more arachnids, aren't they? Like, well, the spiders are like arachnids. But we're talking about people talk, acting like scorpions. They're not scorpions acting like people. Like well, a scorpion the... with a little tie. Yeah. Well, maybe they have a little tie in a briefcase. <laughs> a little they're going to a scorpion work. They're going to the scorpion work. I got a scorpion job. Oh, I got a scorp all day. Oh, man. Got to get on the scorpion lines and. Get those scorp foods out to the scorp stores. <laughs> That's how you know an improviser has run out of things to say. Just start saying. I'm just repeating the just word now. Put scorp in the front of everything. Your word is scorpion. Well, this is a real scorpion. <laughs> oh, hey, you want to go see that band? Who is it? Scorpion. Actually, you're doing Final Countdown, which is not scorpion. What's Final Countdown? Who's that? Uh, Europe. Fuck you. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry I'm black and don't know all the hair bands. <laughs> That's your excuse for everything. That's my excuse. I was too busy listening to Tupac while you were listening to Poison. Yeah, anyway. well, the next generation of black children will know the difference between Europe and Scorpion. Yeah, but will they know the difference between living color and fishbone? Mm, we're about three generations away from that. Ooh. So anyway. Tribe called Quest? Oh, it is a quest for this tribe. 
I feel like there's a question it. mark at the end of that band. Like I feel like I know they don't, but I but I feel like there is. No, I know. No, it's a very no. They it's it's a tribe. It's called a tribe Quest. called Quest. Not to be confused with a diggable planet or native tongues. Well, although native tongues is. Anyway, we don't have to get into but that. their album covers, there was always so much going on. I feel like there was always like some. Sort Are you of sure you're like, not confusing them with De La Soul? I'm positive. I'm not I'm positive. I'm not confusing them with De La Soul. Okay. They had a Japanese rapper, and that song was awesome. Okay, calm down. So, <laughs> so we're back to look at this. We're talking hip hop and hair bands. Welcome back to another episode of hip hop and hair bands. <laughs> no, we don't have to go down there. Uh, today we'll be talking about the Run DMC Aerosmith team up for. Walk this way. Okay. Well, first of all, I think that they, it's a great cover slash reimagining of the song because Steven Tyler is in it. So it's like, okay. They actually incorporated the band itself into the remake. But then they break down a wall. That's the Berlin Wall. That's the, that's what it's that's also song the did. wall between hip hop and hair bands, which is also the Berlin Wall. <laughs> it's East and West Berlin. Uh, it's also the wall to your heart. That's, but you gotta break down. You gotta break down if those walls. Gonna walk this way. Um, anyway, talk this way. We'll see you next week on <laughs> hip hop and hair bands. So, <laughs> oh yeah! No, that's awful. Now we're just, <laughs> one, two, one, two. This is—I don't even know what's happening anymore. Oh we, we are, this, by the way, this will never air. <laughs> it's gonna air. <laughs> this will never. Are air. we stupider right now than we were when we started talking? <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like this actually made us dumber. This made us dumber. Oh, weren't we just talking about that the other day? Yeah, Billy we Madison. Were. Fuck. That scene makes the whole movie worth it. That that monologue that everyone I in award this room, you no points. May God <laughs> May have God mercy on your soul. soul. That 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 monologue makes that whole movie work. Um. Oh shit. So, uh, too bad that monologue wasn't in. That's my boy. So anyway, uh, <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah. That movie didn't work. Yeah. Did you see it? No. Oh, I'm gonna tell you the twist ending once we get off here. <laughs> Don't so, ruin it for your oh, listeners. Don't you ruin it, Mother Berber. And then once you tell me, I want to put be, it. I'm going to put it. I'm going to put though. that information in a room. I really wanted that to be good because I actually like Andy Samberg a lot, and I was like, I want him to do good things. I'm taking that information. I'm going to lock it up in a room, and I'm never going to talk about it. But you're going to let me know that the room exists. That's but, the difference. Oh no, that room exists. What's behind that room? Oh, you'll know. Someday. Oh, you'll know. Ooh, see, I'm already scared. I want to know what the fuck's <laughs> in that room. You're already creating an unhealthy relationship with the room now. It's got to be an unhealthy relationship. You got to have an unhealthy relationship with the Holocaust. You can't be like, oh, me and the Holocaust. Well, the fact that it happened we went out last weekend is already an unhealthy relationship. I know, but you got to. Oh, wait, it doesn't matter. <laughs> His point is that it, it has to be to understand something that was as emotionally scarring as the Holocaust. You have to Holocaust. go through it yourself. You have to have something that's remotely emotionally scarring happen. It, it's emotionally scarring to understand something that's emotionally scarring. There's no way to water it down to make people get it, but they won't get it. They'll just get that it happened, but they won't get what it means. See, I told you you had the, you're gonna have to sure. roll your roll your eyes. Sure, you got to put you need some eye, eye drops. I'm sorry. All I can think of is I was in Afghanistan and Iraq. I think I understand the you. idea of <laughs> me. I think, you do. I think I've earned my Holocaust room. Okay, you. I mean, but like a lot of people, and come on. Let's not act like people don't don't know that we're not still in Afghanistan. People well, are like, wait. oh, that's yeah. still happening? Yeah. Yeah, I just got back from there. Well, that brings up a great point. Of What's that I point? I have to deal with that every day. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, military is less than 1% of the American population. And, you know, my experiences with that stuff uh, is pretty much alien to the majority of people that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Do you... Oh, I was going to tell... I'll, I'll ask you about this off-air. Um, this Now the end of this podcast is becoming great. I'm like, I'm going to save this for after I hit the stop. <laughs> this, is, this is the second great thing that you want to save for off-air. Any closing statements, Benari Bolton, about the concept of justice? Um... I think we should come back to it. I actually think that... uh, Justice Part 2? Yeah, I think we should come back to Justice Part 2. You just heard Justice Part 1. And as a special treat at the end of Justice Part 1, Bernard Poulton's going to tell a story of a little audition he had when he came to L.A. when he was a kid. We kind of started at the beginning (laughs) of the podcast. We never told the story. Boy, did we go on a tangent. Yeah. And this is called Bringing It Back. Bringing It Back. Full circle. Full circle. So... It's only fair. It's only fair. It's only justice. Is that justice? Maybe. Mm. Uh, So speaking of injustice... Oh, what a great segue. uh, So I had broken my arm. I should probably not have come out to L.A. for auditions with a broken arm because... You were hot off gunplay. People were like, that kid's head knows how to get exploded. I want to meet it. I came out here uh, with my manager, and then there were four kids. Basically, it was like... It was the real world before there was a real world. We had uh, these two, like, actor dudes who... Basically, were our babysitters. Like, they were our wranglers and, like, watched us and supervised us. Um, and then we just shared an apartment for about six or seven weeks in L.A. Oh, wow. And went on auditions, like, every other day and just went out and went up for stuff. Well, one of the auditions we went on uh, was for Terminator 2. Heard of it? And uh, at that time... That's a sequel, right? Uh, yeah, it was okay. a, a little little indie sequel. A little indie sequel. And uh, that particular movie was so hyped that they didn't even have a script for it. Mm. Uh, and Mally Finn was the casting director, and I, I remember going in for Mally Finn. Um, and whatever Make sure I, that microphone's on your mouth, man. This is a good story. All right. Uh, so I go in to the audition. Mm-hmm. They don't have a script. Right. And what you have to do is improvise a scene. All right. And the scene that uh, – this the the framework for the scene that we were given was – uh, you are the adopted kid of this couple, and you hate the dad. Uh, this is like your your adopted mom uh, has been remarried like several times. You know this is one. You know this dude. He's he's a douche, uh, and you hate him. Right. And that's it. And you're wor- and you want to work on your bike in the backyard or something like that. And he's calling you in for dinner. Right. And it was just a back and forth, and. So she plays the part of the dad, and she's calling me in for dinner. And the little twist that I put on it was instead of calling him dad, I just made up a name for him. I just made up, you know, no, Ralph, I'm not coming in for dinner. Okay, because yeah. Because I figured, you know. Uh, little, you wouldn't call him dad. I wouldn't call him dad. you call I him would, by his name. I would call him by his name because you're not my dad. Right. That was my thinking. Of course. And we went on, and we did the, the back and forth scene, and it was just some whatever standard whatever. And well, do you remember anything else that you did in the scene? Um, I remember that we had a uh, I had to pretend like I was working on a on a bicycle or something, mm-hmm. and that but it was really really short. She didn't give me that much more time. Other kids had way more time because she didn't like me. And come to find out, she really didn't like me. Okay. And then when my manager like followed up, <laughs> Mally Finn said, "Not only was I," she said, "I couldn't improvise." She said uh, he he uh, he did not really do a good job uh, improvising a scene. He uh, 
he uh, didn't really have a good grasp of what this kind of kid would be like. Uh, I'm like, all right, well, that's harsh. I mean, I'm like 12. <laughs> but okay, if you, you know, if you didn't like my cast, I mean, I had a cast on my arm. So you could just say, I don't like children who break bones. That would have been fine to me. But, but you got personal. Okay. Cut to, I'm, so I'm watching the movie with all my friends when the movie comes out. And it's Eddie Furlong. And she launched Eddie Furlong's career. I mean, that right. movie really launched his career. And <laughs> they, get, they get to a scene that's basically that scene that, we, that was improvised, you know. And it's a scene when he's dealing with his step-parents. And he calls the dad by his first name. Now, I remind you, there was no script that we saw for the, for the auditions. Right. So one of two things had to have happened. Either there was a script and I nailed the, the intent of the scene by calling him by his name. Ralph, right. By whatever, whatever name I made up, I, I got the intent. I got the character. Or she liked the fact that I called <laughs> the dude by his first name and made that a little character choice. For, for uh, Eddie Furlong. Either way, or you just did what it is that they were looking for, but she just didn't like right, it. Right, or some I did, but but I mean that's that, he did what you did. Basically, there was only one of two things: either I just did it on my own and and was what they were looking for, and she just didn't like me, or they you know, took what you or did. they they took what it was. Either way, what do you mean I can't improvise? What the hell? Kind, what what do you what do you mean I didn't get the character? I totally got the character. I did exactly what you did in the actual movie before the movie was even finished being written. I think I got the character. That's Hollywood. Well, she's dead now, so. She's dead now. And uh, speaking of which, we could wrap this up because uh, Edward Furlong is actually about to come over and we're going to talk about uh, improv. So, uh... (laughs) (laughs) and that's how you bring it full circle. Thus ends the masterful late upload of this episode of Deep Shit. I hope you enjoyed it. I know that you did, because if you have gotten to this point where you're listening to me again, you must have been on board, or you would have turned this off, deleted it, um, written obscenities to me on Twitter and emails saying, I hate you, I hate your ass face. And I'd be like, hey, you're quoting Waiting for Guffman. You're like, yeah, Waiting for Guffman is funny and interesting. You are neither of those things. Delete. Did you just write delete? Yeah. Stuff like that. Anyway, you didn't do that. (laughs) You're listening to the outro, so you must have enjoyed this episode. And if you did that, please leave ratings, you know, and comments of positivity and love and appreciation on iTunes and other social media planes. Planes? Planes. You know, just different different ways social medias exist all these different intersecting bisecting planes bro um so all things comedy network go check it out all things comedy um you know other great podcasts like uh bill burr's monday morning podcast bill burr who i just saw the other day at a restaurant we high-fived we didn't high-five he's not a high-fiving kind of a person (laughs) we shook hands and then i exited by where he was sitting and he's like don't pretend like you're not going to say goodbye to me again let's just do this let's just shake hands um the bone zone good podcast great podcast uh soccer comics uh dork forest with former uh deep shit guest jackie cation and i was on her podcast twice and i'm gonna have jackie cation on mine again as well um just all these great podcasts jake this check out jake this jake johansson 
um, walking the room, uh, the long shot, etc., etc., guys. ATC, all things comedy. Dot com. Got some events coming up that are all things comedy themed. It's going to be good times. Again, if you're in Seattle, I am going to be at Laughs Comedy Spot. And in April, Portland. Come on. Bridgetown Comedy Festival in April. And then also after that, Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin. Guys, festivals, comedy, me, live, talking in joke form. Deep shit. Deep shit.